Hey, Farva. Nobody can pay you in a corner. Hey, is any of this sinking in? Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. You're dead. D, 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 dead. What's the name of that restaurant you like with all the goofy shit on the walls and the mozzarella sticks? You mean shenanigans? No. Last time on 35mm Podcast. I don't know what you want me to do with that. I don't either. <laughs> but other than, I just wanted to say it because I had it in my head for the past hour. He's like, I'm going to say this and start us off with... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the Dragon Ball Z intro. or intro. <laughs> Last time on the, we were halfway through one of the greatest films of all time considered by many in The Godfather, and we realized we hit that wonderful two-and-a-half, three-hour mark. It's like, fuck, this is a two-parter. <laughs> and we are coming back around with a part dose of The Godfather as we look at the really the second half of that movie and where it really has a clear demarcation between the first and the second half. Yeah, and so last time we got... We got introduced to the family, the Corleone family with Vito, with the, the Don, with Michael, the wedding, the whole conflict with Michael not wanting to be part of the family. Of course, dad gets shot. He becomes part of the family. And we ended at the, what part? We ended after the shooting, right? I think we ended right at the shooting, like the... Yes, we ended where Michael Al Pacino went to meet with Salazzo and ended up capping both their asses. They deserved it. And then walked away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did you... I mean, so for a part two, we're not going to try to really rehash anything. We we know that it's directed by Francis Ford Coppola. We know Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola wrote it. We know who our main characters are. Yep. Um, I don't think anybody major gets introduced in the second part. There is some that we're going to introduce, like uh, Connie, because we haven't done that yet. We waited. Remember, we said we would wait. Oh, yeah. Until they actually have significant scenes. Yeah. And it's about to come up anyway. Anything else? Uh, nothing I can think of. Short intro, because we, again, this is a part two. Retreaded World War Ground already. Exactly. After Michael caps off Salazzo and McCluskey in the diner, we're getting this, I said last time, we got this montage of different pictures from the mo- from the mafia war between the five families. Yeah. And every like in one part Clemenza was sitting like at some scenes was sitting in his bed and just his boxers with a gun on the on his table. Yeah, they did a pretty good job showing that the mafia families, especially the Corleone family, had gone underground and a lot of the people who worked with them at Forum were and they had been handed out earlier in the movie, you know, give me, I need 30 beds put on the mattresses to put on the floor for these guys to sleep at while they all kind of went in hiding while the families had their, their war on the streets. And, you know, that was the increased cop purvey into their business dealers because, you know, they killed a cop, even though he was a crooked, dirty fucking cop. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So they're 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 doing their thing. Uh, we'll get to Al Pacino and what he's up to here in a little bit, but we go open this well pretty much second half. As I said last time, this was supposed to what well, might have been a longer movie. They were planning to put an intermission in this spot right here because the narratives do essentially change. Yeah. And it was like the first half is Michael entering the family and the second half is Michael part of the family. Yes. And we get to where Marlon Brando's coming home from the hospital. Has a full ass escort too. Full of police and bodyguards making sure that there's nothing going to happen there. And he gets home and everybody's dressed up. Did you notice this? Yeah. Like everybody's in a suit. I, I guess this is a thing of the early 19 of the mid 1900s. Yeah. Like I was just, I was watching a good show. I binged it last night, actually a league of their own on prime. It's an amazing show. So that it just, that's the TV show based off the same material as the movie was, right? Yeah, it's based on the All-American Women's Professional Baseball League. And they just go into different stories. Like in the movie, it was more subtext about the about being lesbian. Uh-huh. And the show, they outright talk about that. Oh, wow. And uh, talk about trans issues. Again, really good. Yeah. The have you ever seen Disenchantment on Netflix? No, I haven't. No, it's an okay show. I enjoy it. The main the woman who plays the main character in that is the main character in this. Okay. So getting around to it, they were all dressed up in it in that show. Like everywhere they went, they were wearing a dress or wearing a you see wear suits. And I think that's a changing of the times because you used to have, you hear people talk about it, our grandparents and older people, older generations talking about it. You know, during that time period, they had a church suit, they had an everyday suit, and then they had their work clothes, like a, a one or two pair of work clothes. Like you didn't have, like I can go in my closet and I can wear a different shirt every day of the month and never double up. Yeah, but you have like multiple band shirts. I do, but I mean, like... Of the same band. No, I don't have any overlap band t-shirts. Oh, really? I think. No, I do not. Um, I do... Well, think about, like, work polos. I have enough work polos I wear for work that I can wear one every day of the month and not wear the same one twice. Holy shit. Granted, half of them were given to me by work, but I still have them. <laughs> uh, you watch even older shows back then. That's, what, like, always the... Attire was suits and dresses. You watch Twilight Zone, Dick Van Dyke, those sort of things. They're always wearing suits pretty much everywhere they go, unless it's like a casual outing with the family. Yeah, and I think part of that is, is you didn't go out outside of your best. I would, I would hate that. <laughs> I would too, but I mean, always having to wear a tie every day and, and a and a and a hat. And a jacket and wool fucking pants. I mean, we we grown up in Amish territory. Could you imagine wearing that every day? What the Amish and the Midnights wear around here? Because that's pretty much essentially what they do. Well, those breathe good though. 
sometimes still going to smell funky afterwards. Yeah, true. Though they get home, they get them home, and they're bringing them up this staircase, and still in a gurney. Yeah. And I do want to say, I wonder how much of this was the Don was coming home as well, just like a show of her son of respect. That oh, I'm sure it's that's part of it. Yeah. As they're lifting him up the stairs, though, it, when they did this, there was actually sandbags put in that gurney to make it heavier. Really? Yes. Because one thing about Marlon Brando is he loves to play jokes. And that was one of his jokes. Another one that got uh, during production was that James Caan and Robert Duvall... And I think Marlon Brando would moon each other <laughs> at, at different times. Oh, wow. You know, might have been funny back then. I think probably now if you did that on set, you'd probably get in trouble. Probably. I mean, Chris Farrell used to randomly walk up to people neck and on set during his movies. Holy shit, he did. Yeah. Just kind of like, hey, guys, what's going on? Just talk to him like nothing's fucking going on. Now, granted, when you're doing as much drugs he was, you probably wouldn't notice it yourself. But at the same time, like if if someone's not comfortable with it, then yeah, they shouldn't do it. But if everybody's comfortable with it, yeah, go nuts. Just practice yeah. some consent in that. Exactly. And everybody's greeting Fido here with some cards. And you see another scene with the family. The kids are playing around. The women are cooking. They tell Vito here that Al Pacino had to leave. We had to. He had to be exiled. Yeah. And that the police are getting involved. At the same time, they're like, uh, Fredo is going to Las Vegas, which will come into play later. Yep. And they also inform him that Mike was the one who killed Salazzo. And you see it in his facial expressions. He is up. Marlon Brando Vito is upset what happened because he has tried so long to keep Mike out of family business. Yeah, and that was just the death knell of it that Mike's now brought into... Yeah, this is pretty much his Anakin kills the fucking younglings. Like, he's committed to it now. Yeah, but there's no point turning back. Yeah, you get... Yeah, I mean, he could have turned back after... Anakin could have turned back after he said, yeah, sure, call me Darth Vader, dude. He couldn't turn back after killing kids. And Sonny is still wanting to finish this war, and Tom is like, dude, slow your fucking roll. Like, slow down. Stop. You're causing more problems. Do you not see that? Of course he doesn't, because Sonny is a very hot-headed person. Yeah. Very emotional. He's kind of like... He'd be someone that would tell a woman to calm down, but is always yelling and shit. I think he does that in his movie a few times, actually. He does. <laughs> <laughs> and here is where I can finally introduce Connie and Carlo. I haven't done it before because they've not really been talking. They've just been in the background. They were the unreally presented married couple. The wedding was for them, too, at the very beginning, weren't they? Yes. Connie here is played by Talia Shire. This is, I don't know if coincidentally, ironically, whatever, this is Francis Ford Coppola's sister, actually. Everybody knows who she is if you've never seen The Godfather. 
She's Adrian Balboa. Yeah, that's where I was like, is that Adrian? Oh, it is. Yeah, yo, Adrian. And I had to do some research here. Have you ever looked up the Coppola family tree? I haven't. Not extensively. Oh, I did. Holy shit, dude. Not only is Francis Ford Coppola and Talia brother and sister, they are... Uh, their father is Carmine. I mentioned last episode he helped write part of the score here in this movie. But uh-huh. he's also an accomplished composer. He's done other things. Yeah. Francis had four kids. First one you may have heard of Sofia Coppola. It rings a bell. Have you ever seen Lost in Translation? No. With Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson? I have not. Well, she's an Oscar winner for that movie. For the screenplay. She also directed it. She was also in Godfather 3, which she got panned for being in. Really? Yeah. Because it's not a it's really not a good performance. Oh. And she I believe she's in this too. She is in this, and I'll mention it later. There's Roman Coppola. He also was nominated for an Oscar for Moonrise Kingdom. And he's won a lot of awards for the Amazon series Mozart in the Jungle. Uh-huh. Which was, like, big for a few years before The Marvelous Miss Ma- Mrs. Maisel came out. Neither of those are ringing a bell to me. You've ne- I know I've talked about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel around here. I mean, I'm sure you have, but I can't place anything to it myself. Uh, it's a time period piece, like uh-huh. League of Their Own, which is also on Prime. Where uh, a woman finds her husband cheating on her, so she says, fuck up, or I think she cheated. Yeah. And she's like, fuck off, dude, and she becomes a comedian. It's pretty funny. It's got Tony Shalhoub in it. Uh-huh. But there's Roman Coppola that I mentioned. Sorry. Cut that. The granddaughter from another kid is Gia Coppola, who made mainstream with Maya Hawk, best known as Stranger Th- from Stranger Things now, uh-huh. and Andrew Garfield, and her cousin Jason Schwartzman, uh-huh. who is Talia Shire's son. Yeah, but they also had a brother, August. And this is where it gets interesting, probably for you. He had a son named Nicholas Kim Coppola. Does the name ring a bell? Slightly. He's been in a movie, Snake Eyes, 8mm, The Rock. Uh-huh. He just had a movie come out this year about that where he played a fictionalized character of himself with Pedro Pascal. Really? I, I, I'm drawing a blank on him. He, sto- he stole the Constitution. And National Treasure? Yeah. His stage name is better known as Nicolas Cage. <laughs> okay. I was like, what? what? Yeah, this whole ass family's got either all the... Man, this dude knew how to do some nepotism. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's these are talented people. I enjoy a lot of what I've talked about here. But it's still, I mean, come on. If it wasn't for... That's a lot for one family? 
Yeah, if it wasn't for him directing this, I don't think all of that I just mentioned would have happened. Fun tidbit about Nicolas Cage, though. Do you know the name of his ch- kid? What? Kal-El. He named his kid Kal- Well, Nicolas Cage was a massive comic book nerd anyways. He is, but you, man, I feel bad for that kid being named Kal-El, though. Maybe when we were growing up, but now he just did it perfectly. You know me kids are being named after TV shows, comics, and movies now, video games. So we also have to talk about Carlo. This is played by Gianni Russo. Another role he's been famous in is the Super Mario Brothers movie. I don't think I've ever seen it. Wait, you haven't ever seen that piece of shit? I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, my God. He was also in uh, Stay Tuned. Again, I've talked about that movie. I love that movie. He does a podcast, which is like 200 episodes deep. Really? Yeah. And he was another one that used his criminal connections to get a job, get this role. Not surprising. They wanted some authenticity to it. Yeah. But here, like you start seeing this happy married couple at the beginning. The Carlo here, it snaps on Connie, like goes off on her. And Sonny says immediately, you need to shut your fucking trap, dude. Or I'll shut it for you. Yeah. You don't talk to her that way. And while this makes sense in the storyline, because Michael has gone into exile, we shift gears entirely and go to a whole nother ass country. We go to Italy. Italia. The, uh, the home country. We go to the home country. Yeah. While we have moved on to Italiana. I was at the grocery store the other day, and I found out that this... This motherfucker is loaded with fucking money. Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, are you surprised by that now? Oh, no, I'm not. I just didn't realize he had his own winery. (laughs) What's it called? It is called Francis Coppola Diamond Collection. It's a claret or claret. It's a a Cabernet Sauvignon made back in the year of 2019. Uh Uh-huh. It was only 16 bucks. Oh, wow. So you got it from the before times. Yeah, I got it from the before times. I wanted to keep it keep it sealed just in case there's some COVID mixed in with my grapes or monkeypox. It doesn't, it doesn't spread that way, y'all. It's a joke. Maybe it cures them. It cures both Yeah, them. I thought about like messaging you the other day and being like, hey, dude, go to, go to the liquor store and see if they have this. And we, we have a we, we have a glass together. <laughs> I probably do. I'll have to look next time I go. Yeah, I was just thought it was uh I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. Francis Ford Coppola is of Italian descent. Yeah. And he has money, so he's like, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy buy some farmland and I'm gonna grow grapes and then we're gonna crush them. He's having fun. But Mike is in this Countryside, beautiful countryside. I love it. Uh-huh. It looks with two armed bodyguards. Yes. And this is a very like this was filmed on location in Italy. And this is when Don Tomasino shows up. I think I said Don. Dom Tomasino shows up. Uh-huh. And, and this dude cannot get out the car for shit. He looked like he's in bad health for every scene he's in, like he's on his last legs. Like, obviously, 
in the sense of a power relationship between him and the Corleone family, like he's obviously the weaker end of the power side, and he's doing this as a favor for Vito and the family as well. Just kind of, I'm, I'm gonna keep an eye on Maki, keep him safe here in the home country, so he doesn't get into trouble. This is a recurring theme in the three original movies. I say three original because the third one was remade. That it seems like when Dons get so old. Like they become more enfeeble and shit and decrepit. And uh-huh. like you see, you kind of see it with Vito, like we'll talk about. You see it with here with Tomasino. You'll see it with Al Pacino later in the series if you ever watch the original third one. And you'll see it in the early half of part two with another with another dom um and but he's like yo mike dude uh sunny called they know where your ass is but you can't go back home and so uh i don't know what to tell you you're gonna have to go somewhere else be extra careful don't trust nobody and so they walk Go for a walk to Corleone, Corleone, which is a village. Uh huh. That's not by mistake. Because that's where the family hail is from. Yes. This is where Vito is from. Yeah. And in part two, and it's not giving away anything, he, when he comes, comes to America, he tells him he's from Corleone. And they write that down as his last name. That's not his original last name. Oh, so they do a flashback in the second one? Well, the, oh, this is why I love the second one so much. It's actually, there's two plot threads going on. Uh, and one is doing the rise of Vito. Yeah. And the other one is doing the fall of Michael. Huh. It is masterfully done. That's why it's so good. Gotcha. Because you're going, you're going between scenes of the past where Robert De Niro is playing Vito. Interesting. And at the same time, you're seeing scenes of the present with Michael and what's going on there. Super good. Oh, God. I'm surprised you haven't. You didn't just pop it in to watch this week, past week. I'm saving it for when we do it. Oh. <laughs> I kind of want to watch it again. Again, like I said, beautiful shots of Italy here. Yeah. Oh, uh, real quick, I did say they were in Corleone. That's not entirely true. It was filmed there, but where Cor- the actual town is more developed now, so they picked a different area. Ah, uh, gotcha. But they get to this town, and immediately you notice there's no men. Come to find out, they all their asses died. Yeah, I mean, that was Italy in World War II. A lot of them died. Yeah. You have none of the young males. Like, you've got the middle-aged... We'll see, like, the middle-aged men are kind of floating around, but, like, military service age? No. They're, for the most part, no. Yeah. And we see some American soldiers drive by, and uh, the Italian bodyguards are like, hey, dude, take us to America. Yeah. (laughs) I I love it. And 
Again, this is 1946, and I did some re quick research. So we're not quite into the Marshall Plan here. And when this happened in the movie, this is also before the Italian referendum on the government that they'll have post-World War II. Uh -huh. Because there was a time period where that the king ab abdicated or was exiled, and then they were like, oh, we're going to do a vote to either keep the monarchy or go to a representative democracy. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know much about that? My Italian history is fuzzy at best. But, I mean, they just, you know, got through Mussolini, who'd risen to power, and they're like, fuck, where do we go from here? Yeah, but it was actually closer than I thought when I looked at the results. I mean... Between monarchy and... Are you, though? I mean, because you got to think, not far from them, you also have Spain, 10 years prior, just fought a civil war over the history of either the royals or... Yeah. Not, and then... Quick question. Was this one of the last monarchies to fall in Europe? I don't want to say... No. Because, I mean, you still have the monarchy in some shape, form, or fashion in most European countries. It's just... Well, they're just there for decorative... Yeah. ...set pieces now. Like, the Queen of England can't do hardly shit now. Yeah, but they still had that song and pony dance or the horse and pony show where the prime minister goes to her and like, this is the government I want to form for you kind of. I mean, what stuff. the fuck did you just call it to begin song with? And, <laughs> song and pony show. <laughs> song and pony. and pony show. I love it. But I mean, that's about what it is. I'm sure, God, my Italian history is not great. Um, I didn't know if you knew anything like extensive about World War II and all that shit. So I, I know... Bits of post-war, but not as much as I probably should, to be honest. But, I mean, a lot of that, you have that situation after the fact where it's... The U.S. is there. They didn't leave for a long time. I mean, I'm not surprised that the vote was as close as it was. It was like... I mean, when I say it was, like, close, I mean, it was, like, 60-40, but still, like, damn, y'all. 40% still said, yeah, we need, we need absolute rule in this fucking country. Yeah. I mean, part of that, though, is probably the hardliners that did not die from under Mussolini as well. Or thought he was just, you know, the non-Trump Republicans. Um, Mussolini wasn't a monarch, was he? No, but he was a far-right politician. Well, yeah, but he wasn't, like, the monarch of the country. No, he wasn't, but he was the prime minister. Like, there was still a monarch of that country while he was controlling things. Yeah, and at the time, he's just a figurehead. Yeah. Well, we come across... A group of women, and this is where we meet Apollonia. This is played by Simonetta Stefanelli. She's a, an Italian actress. She's done a lot of things there. And Mike is, man, his, his dick dar went up as soon as he saw her. He's, and he's, hers went up, too. I mean, they both stopped. It's like, yeah. Oh, damn. And, oh, I got something to say about that here in a second. I'm going to go on a rant. So bear with me when we get there. They go to the this restaurant that Apollonia's family operates. But he didn't know it at the time? No, he didn't know shit. And he's in there talking to the what turns out to be her father and just like, man, the prettiest girl. She was so gorgeous. And then the, the, the dad and her are joking and him are joking around. 
And then he's like, she was wearing this. And all of a sudden you see just stone face. He's like, get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they're talking about how sexy, the, how sexy the women are. This woman is. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm into this conversation. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm talking about your daughter, dude. And he's like, wait, hold up. Now, give fuck, dude. And Mike starts talking about how he's sorry for the disrespect and tells him who he is. He's like, he's using his familial connections here. Yeah. And kind of strong arms his way to be with Apollonia with vague threats. Yeah. We like introduce us. I'll take care of the rest. You just like stay out of the fucking way. Like literally this, he runs into her Caesar and then he's like, holy shit. I, I want to be with her. And tells her dad, I want to marry her already. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could ever do something like that. I don't know if I could either. But he definitely fell in love with her. So, oh, my God, yes. So Mike gets dressed up, wearing a suit. And there it's outdoors. It's Italy. Everything's got to be done outdoors for the most part here. And takes a bunch of presents to meet Apollonia formally. And could you be, imagine it being in that way now? Like you having to meet your, oh, I want to meet my wife for the first time. I'm going to take a whole bunch of presents for everybody else in her family. I know. And it's much more formal. Like he didn't really like that entire like first two dates. And like, did he talk to her? It was just talking to the family and like a much more conservative, like dating style, which I think you had experience with some when you were. Did. So in one part here, like when they're walking, they are followed by a group of older women. Got to keep no hanky panky. Yeah. Make sure that they're not doing anything and all this stuff and making sure they're not touching or kissing. And there was a lot of similarities with that behavior with my wife, where I had to talk to her sitting on the couch in front of her family. Keep in mind, she is four years older than my ass, and she she was able to buy a liquor before I graduated high school. Yeah, she had a much more conservative viewpoint on a yeah courting than you did. Well, her family did. She, yeah, she didn't really care. Like one thing that they wanted me to do was if we wanted to talk alone, we had to stay on the porch with the light on. Yeah, my wife said, "No, that ain't happening." <laughs> And I was like, good, because I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. That didn't last long, though. That only lasted like a month. Yeah. And then after that, we did our own thing. Well, I imagine it's probably something similar here where you have a very courtship-style dating the first month or so, and then afterwards you kind of taper off into a little more personable and less. Let's make an introduction to the family. Yeah, it really comes across like it's a a deal-to-be-made type of marriage, almost. Not like in a dowry sense, but similar vein. Yeah. Or just show off why he's the right one for Apollonia. Yes. Like in one scene, it's a pretty good shot of, you know, he's sitting there talking, which I love how Al Pacino can cross his legs like that. I wish I could do it because he's like all the way fucking cross. And I can't do that either. It hurts my hips. I, I can cross my legs, but not like that. He's like got it full. Like, got the bend of his knee down on his leg and just sitting there all comfortably and shit. I'm like, no. (laughs) We were a little too wide for that, Matt. (laughs) Yeah. Got got some thick thighs here. I know. We got our own thunder thighs. Yeah. Because one thing we haven't mentioned is, like, 
Al Pacino at this time is nothing but skin and bones. Yeah. Like he is tiny as shit. And now we're getting to one of my favorite scenes in the movie because we're we're pick, we're back going back and forth between what's going on in Italy and what's going on back at home. And Sonny here is just getting his freak on again. Got him a side chick. Yeah, with the same was well, the same woman from earlier. Yeah, but not his wife. Not his wife again. Like she just was in like one scene, and that's all you saw of her ass. Yeah. Talking about how big his dick was or some shit. But he's got to go to Connie's. And when he gets there, he finds her all bruised the fuck up. And he immediately goes the fuck off. He's ready to kill Carlo. And I just love, like, the immediate emotion change in James Conn here. Uh Uh-huh. Like, where he's biting his fist and he just flips out. Yeah. Again, like many other women that still do to this day. She's like, no, no, it's my, you don't understand. It's my fault. And begs that he not do anything. I should have spoke back to him. It's my fault. Yeah. Even though it's, oh, if you're committing domestic violence, it's never your fault. It's the attacker's fault. Okay. The way you phrased that at the beginning was like, that's. You let me finish the whole sentence, then you would make sense. No, I can't. Yeah, it is always the attacker's fault. You don't bring it on yourself. Also, we find out that not only is he, you know, beating up his wife, Connie, but he's beating up his pregnant wife, Connie, because she is clearly showing that she is having a baby. But then Carlo is sitting on a stoop listening to a Yankees game. And the immediate thought here is... Stoop kid never leaves a stoop. Who's that from? Hey, Arnold. Oh, yeah. So Carlo never leaves a stoop unless it's Sonny about to whoop that ass. Oh, and that's hilarious, too. Because, like, I was laughing that entire scene because he, like, Sonny just peels in and Carlo immediately goes, oh, fuck, and charges to take off running. And Sonny gets out and just chucks that fucking stick at him and just, like, hits him with it, knocks him in the head. Then grabs it and just starts beating the shit out of him. And I don't know what was going on with the f- choreography for this fighting there, wherever he like throws him over the rail. But that's some of the weirdest fighting I've seen, where he's just like randomly like, "I'm gonna throw this lettuce at you." It just it was actually they deviated from the choreography. This was all improv. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was changed at like the last minute for some other reasons. Uh some suspicion that he was just that Carlo, who is a side character and not a main character was uh, Gianni was getting too big for his britches. Uh-huh. And so James Conn is like, I, I got this. Yeah. I'll put him in his place. There's some rumors about there was conflict between them two. Yeah. There's uh, another rumor that he threatened. It was either him. Yeah. I think it was him who made a threat to, Marlon Brando and Marlon Brando thought he was in character. Really? Yeah. Like he, this dude is not all in the up and up. That's what I gathered. And I guess in a proverbial set, um, yeah, to get personal and just like, all right, fine. Then you're not going to work. Then we'll just make this a little more forceful than, than you were wanting it to be. The whole trash can was improvised. Like the can and Russo butted heads and the can won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the trash can lid just bow, 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 bow. 
In fact, the guy played Carlo broke two ribs. Like that's how bad this guy. So he really got his ass beat and just like James Conn's like, I'm going to work stiff motherfucker. If you're not going to do this, like you're supposed to. Yeah. And did you notice in the background, the Dewey posters? Yeah. Cause uh, that was the 46 year. They're building up for the election there. No, this is right after that election. So was it really? Well, yeah. Cause remember we talked about how Christmas time. That's right. No, we were Christmas time 45. So this is 46 building up to that election. Probably yeah. his primary, if I'd have to get guess. Probably, yeah. And then he leaves leaves his ass just fucking broken mess under a fire hydrant that, that was going off for the kids to play in. And he just leaves, like kicks him in the face and leaves. For good reason. Oh, yeah. Both professionally and personally. Because one, Carl's a punk ass. And two... James Conn was a put up with none of his shit. Yeah, again, I like that. I like this scene. It's it's not a mo- more well known scene as we'll, we're going to get into some of those here soon. But we go to back to Italy with uh, Michael and Apollonia getting married. Yeah, that was a, a fast jump to marriage. Just like bam, bam. Thank you. Yeah, like that, that's what I mean. Like it was there. This couldn't have taken place over weeks. Yeah, and it's a traditional Italian wedding. As they walk through the city, mm-hmm. very somber music too. Like sucks to be y'all getting married, everyone. Yeah, but I, I do like how they're showing these customs, these Italian customs. Uh-huh. Nice little bit of in depth there. Yeah, and like they, everybody's following following them out of the city for them to go on their honeymoon, and their first night together is where they get it on, and. This is where I address a big fucking elephant in this room. Yeah. And it pisses me off. Like when I read, read, uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli, what read some other things about this. It's barely touched on. You want to venture a guess how old she was? 16. Yep. Wait, so that's, that is a 16 year old naked girl on this screen when they filmed this. So how is it even still showing up in additions? No one cares. I don't know. Like the, again, this is like, what the fuck? Are you serious? Yeah. Like I can't. I cannot believe. Like believe how that. And I mean, she's totally fine with it. But I, I'm like, still, still, you were 16. Yeah. Like that's a. I'm not and, fine with that. No, I'm not either. Like, I, I, here's the other thing. So you didn't want to venture a guess at how how old Al Pacino was. When they filmed the scene? Early, late 20s. Late 20s, 27. Filling up a 16-year-old. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. They just, like like I said, these books and stuff gloss over this. Like, when they're talking about the making of it? Yeah, I think, like, in that book I just referenced. It's only in there for, like, two paragraphs, maybe three. And it's just like, oh, yeah, she was a minor, but okay, moving on. Yeah, well, that, fuck, that's... I don't know what it is with shit about the time period where it's like, hey, we're going to put underage nudity in here for you. Yeah. And like, and this girl is full-blown nude in this scene. Yeah. There ain't nothing hiding on, like, hiding on her. And it's just, like, when you when you realize that stuff, it's like, goddamn, what is supposed to be kind of like a sentimental scene, sentimental scene has now become incredibly creepy. Yeah, that's very creepy. I mean, it's not even like 
So I know you never watched Game of Thrones of your own willingly, in a sense. But oh, fun you now. know, but you know enough about it. You're the scene where Cersei had to Lena Headley Hetty had to walk naked down from the church. Yeah. So when they filmed that scene, they actually it was a different actress that was the front of the nudity part, and they just did Lena Headey's headshots. Yeah, they usually have a nude stand-in. Yeah. Like, I don't even know why they didn't do even something like that. Of like, hey, you're actress 16. Well, we're going to do this. This is a 22-year-old that's just like of similar proportion. Well, normally what they what they do now is that in many movies, TV shows, to get around child labor laws, what they do, well, and what they do is they have an older of age woman. Yeah. And they could have done that. I mean, they could have. This is a cute, cute woman. She ain't the only cute woman in Italy. Yeah. Is all I'm saying. They could have found a, an 18, 19 year old if they wanted to do, do this. And it's just, I, I, I just get flabbergasted. Like every time I think about it and I'm like, because you have such a great movie going on. And then that, that, and having that knowledge and either a lot of people don't know, don't care, what have you. Yeah. And, you know, I th- think about it, I'm like, is the nudity necessary for the scene? Yes, that's that's another thing. Is it, is, are you really establishing something, like, is it a, an, a needed shot? No. It's definitely not, it's cut in TV broadcasts. Yeah. They're not going to show boobs on TV. Yeah. I don't, I I don't know if they still put, like, if it's included, like if it was on HBO. No, it's, I'm sorry. I watched it on Paramount Plus. It's there, so. I think you were past this point on Paramount Plus. Because you were like an hour and 53 minutes. No, it's there, but I went back and forth. Oh, okay. This scene could have been just, and they kiss, fade to black. Kind of deal. Just like, it's, you, it's implied you know what's going to happen. You don't need to see the nudity part in it to. Yeah, that just kind of, that like, man, that's... It really, like, it, it brings down my score about this movie whenever, I, the more I think about it, because there's no way that should have it should have been done. No. Well, that, this is reminding me of, I gotta remember the specific album it is, but The Scorpions in, let's see, 1976 released an album called Virgin Killer. The original album artwork for this has like a 10-year-old nude girl on the cover of it. And that this is similar like, what the fuck is going on in the mid-70s where people were thinking child pornography is okay, you know? Yeah. Like, I get, like, there's a famous Vietnam shot picture of a naked girl showing the atrocities of war. That's uh-huh. a, like... Showing the atrocities of war. It's not trying to like. Yeah, that's understandable in that situation. Yeah, it, it's uh, or the one dude who keeps fucking suing Nir- or Nirvana for showing his little PP. Well, he's always quick to like, I'm the kid in this photo. Yeah, he's like, that's my dick. <laughs> and then I sue him. I'm sure his pickle ever, you see my dick and you probably don't even know it. But I mean, even still, that's just why. Or even, you know, Titanic has full front nudity and it has not full front, but front nudity and it got by in the PG 13. I have reading one fucking comment about this because I had to look up, like, has anyone really had a discussion about this? And yeah, yeah and this dude is like, oh, if there's a difference between nudity and pornography, you're correct. And then he goes, 
Well, it was legal to do that in the countries they filmed in. And dude, stop. I'm telling y'all right now, stop trying to hinge yourselves on what the legality of something is. It doesn't make you look good. It makes you look like an idiot. Oh, yeah. And a creep at that. Exactly. Like, legal age Kentucky is 16. Legal age you in Kentucky. But you know what? It's still fucking disgusting and creepy. And no. And he's like, you're going to have a hard time prosecuting non-sexual nudity in films where the nudity passed legal buster at the film location with the MPAA code and Hollywood censors. And I'm like, but they wouldn't do that now. No, they wouldn't. Uh, there are countries where this is allowed to be filmed, but the MPAA would never, never fucking allow that today. Which makes it weird that this passed, or was this under the hush-hush that came out later after the film was made? No, she was no, like known in Italy at the time. In fact, I'm, this wasn't her only movie that she did this. But it's kind of like, I mean, it, I mean, yes, I get where they're trying to say like it's the difference between that and pornography. That's why you can't find the Tracy Lords, Tracy Lords videos. Yeah, her early shit because that's been scrubbed off the fucking internet. Yeah, because she was underage in that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Reminds me of God, a couple years ago, I saw a news article about a dude being sued by the state on behalf of himself for child pornography because he had a picture of his dick and he was under the age of 16. Oh, yeah. That's been a big thing, big problem in these yeah. laws. Like, you're putting kids on sexual registries, sexual offender registries. For their own thing? Yeah, for their own thing. I mean, the kids, come on. I mean, which just means the laws need to be updated and corrected to yeah. standards nowadays, but... When you have people who don't send emails making your laws or don't know how to send emails making your laws, how they understand digital privacy and digital laws that need to be updated to times. But right. Digress talking about her and their marriage. We don't want to forget about another special woman on the other side of the planet for Al Pacino in this movie. Yeah. And that's, I was about to transition to that. So while Michael and Apollonia are doing their thing, however you feel about it. <laughs> Kay comes back into the movie. I haven't seen her for a while. And she shows up to the compound. The Corleone compound is like, yo, where, where, where's he at? I want to talk to him. And she, Tom Hagen shows up and he's like, no, girl, girl, woman, you got to go. You got to leave. Because no one, no one has told her anything. They, yeah. And he's like, I can't touch that letter you've got because then I might admit I'm admitting that I know where he's at. Yeah. And she's got it. She's figured out. She highly believes that the family knows where he's at. And he's like, nope, don't want it. Don't want that letter. Do not want it much. I don't blame him. Well, in the background is a blown up car. Uh huh. Like straight up had a car bomb. Yeah. Showing the, the tools of war on the streets. Yeah, and she looks at it. She's like, "What? What went up? The, went on there?" And he's just like, "Oh, it's an accident. It a massive fucking accident for for a car to being that had been engulfed in flames." Just these gas tanks nowadays. There's these spots you hit it just right, it goes poof, and you just don't know what caused it. Apparently, cars in the 1940s were four pintos. Yeah, <laughs> but instead of styrofoam, they're metal. Young kids. Four Pentos blew up because their gas tanks were fucking default default or their gas tanks were flawed as fuck. Pentos were the literal garbage can on wheels. Yeah. They uh 
my mom had a wreck and won a real bad wreck when I was about seven or eight. And as part of the shock absorption to if she got hit somebody, a shock absorption, the entire front bumper was lined with styrofoam. What? Yep. Holy shit. Which nowadays, nowadays cars, like if you have a car post like 2010 or 2005, they're made that if you hit somebody in the head on, that the engine collapses on itself to absorb the shock from the impact more. Mm -hmm. Nothing like that was in it. It's just straight up check. Here's some duct tape, a wire, and the bumper's got styrofoam. <laughs> and not a good look. Well, we well now we're getting now we're gonna get into probably the most famous scene of the movie. Uh-huh. With Sonny. We go back to Connie and Carlos' house, seeing they've patched things up, kinda. Well, I mean, Sonny's like, no, you're gonna trade it right. Instead of being, getting her out of the situation, which probably would have been the better idea in hindsight. She, well, they get a call, and it's a woman, and she answers the phone, asking where Carlo is. Uh -huh. Talia does a phenomenal job going off about this. Yeah. She's like, who the fuck is this woman? They are definitely not in an ethical, non-monogamous relationship. Correct. They are in a very much unethical, non-monogamous relationship. Yeah, they didn't have that discussion beforehand. No. And you could tell by just the sheer amount of plates and every fucking thing thrown at Carlo in this scene. It just... Yeah. I'll fast can go you. I just love it. She just like starts trashing everything, throwing it around, plates broken. Yeah. Like... Dude, I, she made a dinner for him, and she's just like, fuck your dinner, dude. He's just not hungry. And just breaking everything in sight. And it is all this broken stuff, and poor Talia Shire, she, you know, was into this, and she was too, she didn't want to say anything, and she's stepping on this broken shit in her bare feet because her shoe, slipper had fallen off. Yeah. And instead of cutting, instead of saying cut, let's redo this, Put your shoe and make sure her shoe stays on. That way she doesn't get cut. Uh huh. And another poor, like poor Talia Shire is because he starts belt whipping the fuck out of her. Yeah. And he went a little overboard, if the rumors are correct about production. Uh huh. He went a little too into it. It sounds like this Carlo actor was just a piece of fucking work, like the Carlo. Yeah. I mean, if rumors are to be believed, I, I don't know how true it is. Yeah. And he's antagonizing her. He's like, just get like telling her to call Sonny and do all this shit. And she tries to hide in the bathroom and he just kicks it in. And then you hear the more whipping. And it is interesting to under see the juxtaposition here of how Connie is reacting to her husband cheating versus Sonny's wife reacting to the cheating. Yeah. Because Sonny's wife, again, barely in the movie. Uh, doesn't really care if he's out fucking around. Uh -huh. As long as he's bringing home the bacon, I guess. Or he's home. Like he he he's out. He's gonna he's coming home anyway. So fuck off. But she calls Sonny and tells tells him what happened. And he is he's like fuck this. Instead of doing the smart thing, like probably I would do, where I'd be like, hey, you guys come with me. Oh y'all, we're gonna go. We're about to go kill a dude. Yeah. He just peels out of this gravel driveway 
and you just see the the wheels spinning and he's gone by himself and everybody's like what the fuck is he doing catch up to him why'd you let him leave and i, I want to talk about the scene too because he takes that phone call and that kid is crying the entire time it's happening mm-hmm. and it's just i think that adds to like just his annoyance and edge as well just kind of seeing like because that i mean that was annoying me just trying to watch it and like if you were sunny and that happened just how mad you would have been just off of that and then on top of that phone call and just let's go let's fucking do it now yeah let, let's roll so sunny pulls up to this tow booth and he is trapped because a car has blocked him in and apparently every bullet available in the state of new york is lit the fuck up into his body. Oh, yeah, he gets fucked. Like, it's an iconic death scene. I love it so much. Because you want to take a guess on how many squibs blew up on James Conn's body for this? A lot? 149. Damn. Like, and squibs, like, I mean, squibs don't really hurt, but it could go, it's something that can still go wrong. I bet they don't feel pleasant either. Uh, I bet they don't. And... So and he is, he's killed, killed, killed. Like there ain't no way he came back from that. And we immediately go to Tom, who is sitting in the study with Vito or Tom is sitting in the study, having a drink and Vito's like, Hey dude, why, why haven't you talk, talk to me? And he's like, I just need a drink, calm my nerves. And you see a masterclass of fucking acting from Marilyn Brando here. I mean, this entire scene with both Tom and him is just a very an emotionally charged scene with for the what you as if your nose is going on, what this discussion is going to be, and just kind of like what's that movie premise of that you and one person knows what the other one doesn't, and just the intention and the anxiety and the tension in the film scene just builds because. The audience knows what's going to be told, but just watching it play out in the scene is just such a... Right, because here Vito knows something's wrong. Yeah. He don't know what. And he's just like, come on out, out with it. Just go on and tell me. I, I mean, personally, I'd be the same way. Just go on and tell me. Don't, don't drag it on. Yeah. And this is the role that, got, that netted Marlon Brando the Oscar that year. And this is one reason, this scene is one reason why. Fun story about that Oscar, though. He didn't actually accept it. Yeah. I mean, it was in the news a couple of weeks ago where, or a couple, oh. or it'll be a couple of weeks when this is released. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Let me get there. Get there. Let me tell the story first. Okay. I'm on hush. Marlon Brando famously declined the 1973 Oscar win for this best actor for this role and sent a Native American. Sasheen Littlefeather in his place. Dude is like so was so pro indigenous people for a long time. And their how their relationship built is pretty cool because she like walked by his house and just started struck a conversation with him and they became almost instant friends. And he used his win. He was like, if I win, you can go up to the stage and tell your story. He gave her the platform and she did. She did. When his name was called, she got up and she walked to the stage and they said she can only have 60 seconds to talk. She had an actual drawn out speech, but she improvised. And in 60 seconds, she got out every fucking thing she needed. You know, you were saying about what they've 
about what it came. A couple times, or a couple weeks ago, at the time of this release, it was like last week at the time of recording, that the Academy came out and actually issued an apology for the treatment that they gave her because she was booed and disparaged their entire time up there just making a simple statement of the about the mistreatment of indigenous people and yeah and that's where and a lot of this came like spearheaded based off of the will smith incident Uh uh-huh because everybody's like why are you fucking mad about that academy what the fuck what what the fuck did you do about sasheen littlefeather and the how, how she was treated yeah and that i mean they apologize but yeah Shoot. Have you heard the story about this? About the Shasheen Littlefinger? Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd... When she... No, when she left the stage. No. So, John Wayne, notorious racist and actor who portrayed killing Native Americans in many films, started going toward her to attack her. Like, he had to be held back. He was going to beat... So Shane Littlefeather's ass on like right there on the ramp. Sounds like a punk ass fucking move. Yeah. Like he had to be held back by like six people. And it was just like just showing how incredibly shitty he is. You don't see it when you watch the broadcast. You see her talk and she walks away. People are booing her, laughing at her. Yeah. In fact, Clint Eastwood comes up right after her and mocks her like an asshole. Uh-huh. Which I'm not surprised about. Yeah. Sadly. And this is, again, everybody wants to talk about the time. Like, oh, those are the times. Well, the times are fucking wrong. Yeah. And I'm glad we're making the improvement now, you know? Yeah. And I, I love how, like, you know, Marlon Brando's like, uh, no, you can have my platform. Have, have at it. And he had a history. Marlon Brando had a history of an act of activism. Absolutely. Because there's pictures of him marching with Black Panthers in California in the 60s. Like, this wasn't an underground where he's just like, oh, I want to get some good publicity. Right. In a sense. No, Marlon Brando was about that life. Yeah. And, but his whole acting here, because it, like this Oscar that he got was so great. He's like, you're going to call a meeting and we're going to go see Bonacera, the guy we first saw at the beginning of the movie. Because He's recalling that favor. We find out that Bonacera is a mortician. And you get a really good acting scene here. Yeah. And his the favor is simple. Just do a good job on my son's body. Yeah. Make it so his mom can have an open Kaiska funeral. So like pretty much just give his mom one last chance to see him. Yeah. It makes me think about my cousins. Like we couldn't have an open casket for yeah. for Eli. Yeah, which is Fuck that dude. Yeah. And, you know, he says a great line here. Look at how they massacred my boy. Um, Just the way, like, I know it's a meme now, but if you watch the scene, it's like, God damn. Like, these two scenes back to back, and this is a gravitas and just underwhelming, like, emotion that you feel coming through it is just, oh, what is it? It's like, you could fucking chew on it in the sense right there. Because even, mm-hmm. like, I throw you a line, like, when... Tom goes to tell him that Sonny's been killed. Marlon Brando pours him the drink. He's like, well, you've had your drink now. Like, just that five, six-word phrase is like, just have to it. And then just seeing after there, like, you just... And the way it's shot also, because, you know, they 
the body's in there and then it shows Bolsonaro and the Don from like a underneath angle, like looking up at him like that's you're in the casket and they're looking at you. Mm-hmm. Or like you're the person in the casket they're talking about. Like, I mean, there are two extremely well done like scenes and shots that do an exceptional well job of like setting the tone with almost minimalistic dialogue in a sense, comparatively to a lot of this movie, like in the sense of how much dialogue happens. Right. And the lighting is perfect to me here. Yeah. The yeah, everything is so good in this. These just these two quick like these two scenes, the interaction with Tom, the interaction with Bonacera. Only thing I'm sad about is that we didn't see much. We don't really see much of Mama Corleone. That's yeah, that's one thing that I really I mean, you see her in the background for this movie. You see her in the background for the second movie. And it's just like, man, I think she could have added so much more. She could have added even more. Let me say that to this movie. Yeah. I, if you remade it today, you would have that multidimensional mom char- character of her. I feel. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. I just wonder if they would have tried to do it to where would have been tacky to film the mom like laying over the casket and wheeling it. Wailing in grief, you know what I'm saying? Like, would have been, I think so. Yeah, I think it would have been a little melodramatic, and so it would have been a hard line to kind of walk to where show the mother's grief, but it would have been cool to show her grief and his grief the way he grieves, the way she grieves. Yeah, throughout all this, we got to keep in mind that Michael is oblivious to what's happened to his brother because he's in Italy still, he's teaching. Apollonia how to drive and just having fun with her. Yeah, I mean, he's having, in a sense, a vacation. Just relax and just... Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. I'm at Exile. What's Exile? Oh, I just get to chill. It's not like Julian Assange, Exile, stuck in a diplomatic building for seven years until they finally get pissed off at him and kick him out. Just throw him out, yeah. But Dom Tomasino arrives and Duke still can't get the fuck up out of the car to give him the news. But he's also like, hey, dude, it is too dangerous for you. We got to get we got to move you. Yeah. And you just see like how good an actor Al Pacino is here, too, because his facial expressions, again, just change on a on a dime. Of course, Apollonia doesn't know what's going on. And she's honking the horn, wanting to have a good old time. Yeah. I mean, good for Michael not being like, hey, quit or hey, shut up. He wasn't going to take his frustration out on his wife. Yeah, he's no Carlo, so they have to get him Mike out, and he has one of the guards, Fabrizio, bring around the car, and he's like, "Yeah, Apollonia is not coming. It's just gonna be me." Yeah. As he's leaving, he go talks to the other bodyguard, Carl, and asks where she is, and she, he's like, "Oh, she's wanting to drive, dude," and he's in there. He's in this dark ass fucking little shanty hut, uh-huh. just eating. And he's like, okay. So he walks around and he sees Fabrizio run off. And he looks real quick at Apollonia and he's realized right at the wrong time that there is a car bomb in that car. Fabrizio was the inside guy that yeah. I found him out. Just as he it dawns on him what's about to happen, that car blows the fuck up and kills Apollonia. The uh, But I'm also like... Dude, you had plenty of time. You had a gun on you. You had some. You had time to kill this guy. Yeah, you were in the field. 
You could have just shot, been pow, pow, kill him, kill the other bodyguard, run off. Mm-hmm. Done. Well, it makes me think, I wonder if he was loyal and then he got got to by somebody else. Like, hey, we're going to give you enough money to retire off of for a few years to work if you do this for us. Maybe. And uh, you don't see whatever happened to Fabrizio here, but when they made the Godfather saga, which was that TV miniseries on NBC, where they took the two movies and made it all like four nights chronological order. Uh He is killed with a car bomb. Good. Fuck him. It's what he deserves. Yeah. He, uh, Mike, they were like, hey, we found this because when Michael becomes, fully becomes the Godfather, he's end up, they end up telling him like, hey, we found him. This is where he's at a pizza parlor and he has him taken out. There was a, either a plan or a deleted scene that's never been seen where Michael was actually going to go there and kill him. Uh-huh. Like by himself. So now Michael is devastated. He has, he's lost his brother. He's lost his wife that he has fallen madly in love with. Mm-hmm. He's out there alone, kind of like by himself now, on the extent. Because I mean, even one of his trusted bodyguards betrayed him, and now his other one is obviously going to lead him to question, like, yeah. is this dude trustworthy as well? And you know, and it's just more and more things are breaking Michael. Yeah. To to bring bring that person out of him, we get to the. The meeting of the families. Uh-huh. Earlier, Vito was like, hey, get them all together. I, I need to talk to them. I'm done with this shit. Vito's like, I don't want any more bloodshed, y'all. And he explains his whole reasoning. Like, again, this was all over drugs. Yeah. Kind of proved him right. And he's like, it would bring down the mobs. And it almost did. Because everybody's wanting to get, get Vito's political connections. And one of the family heads starts talking about the drugs he does he's like i don't want it near my kids and we got to keep it respectable and then he says a little bit of racist stuff saying oh it's okay to keep it around black people yeah i was just like damn okay yeah just a casual 1940s racism yeah i know which i granted at the time that's the movie was filmed and the time the movie is set in that's a very would have been heard response to us feeding as such and i'm just like is the mafia in league with the CIA or whatever the CIA was known at the time? Probably. Because I, I know it's funny known fact that actually the U.S. government worked with the mafia in World War II as a, like a protection force in like waterfronts and stuff and used them as like their power, like manpower to kind of help keep continental U.S. safe mm-hmm. in case there's attack. So, I mean, yeah, there was probably some ties there. Vito's like, yeah, people. I won't have a vendetta, but he sa- it also says it's because I want my son back. I want my last son to be here or my youngest son to come back. And if anything, anything, even accidental happens to Michael, he's going to annihilate the fucking earth and you can feel it. And he, he even says so much is being struck by a bolt of lightning. Like, just like, I don't want a, a random act of God. If Michael dies from a random act of God, I know it's going to be one of you fuckers and you did it. Yeah, exactly. So the families come to an agreement. And as they leave, Vito's like, yeah, Barzini was the one behind it. Just so you know, I know who it was. Yeah, he tells that to Tom. Tom. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. 
and he's the one who's behind my 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 son's death. Yeah, because of the Tactaglia or however you want to pronounce that name. Like he's a he didn't have enough manpower or money to muscle his way into this. He had to have somebody backing him. Yeah, and so Michael gets to return, and I guess there is a year long jump here. Yeah, this is a time jump where I was like, man, I wish I wish it would tell us like when this happens, when it's like a year passes here or two years passes. But he just says it like in passing. Yeah. Or she says it's in passing, one of the two. Like I I was just like, Oh, okay. It's been a year. Okay. Yeah. But she's apparently a school teacher. I don't think I remember that she was a school teacher until this point. I don't think it's actually mentioned until this point. I think she's kind of moved on with her life. And that was just what her job was at the time. But all of a sudden, apparently, you know, random adults can just show up to the schools and just, you know, hang out. I mean, they didn't have to worry about school shootings then, so. Yeah, well, actually they did. Just not as frequent. Yeah. And speaking of randomness and just showing up, he shows up, makes her like, I haven't seen you in years. Marry me. I love you. I miss you. Yeah. I mean, you have a really good scene and... Yeah, and this is a year after Apollonia died and was killed. And they have a really, again, a really good scene of them walking down the street together. And they just leave the kids, or did she like return them and then said, I'm out? I, I got the guy I love, I was falling in love with is back after a year. Instead of me moving on, I'm going to go try to catch that fish. And I also love the wood panel cars that are in the background. I need to bring those back, Tracy. Just not like just not like that fucking car in vacation. Oh god no. But come to find out, he Michael has been working under Vito, but Vito has been is sick. Uh-huh. And they have a discussion about how they're both naive about the things going on. Like she's naive about all of his family shit. Yeah, it's just she, very our naivety is this funny on full at the end of the movie. And she's saying he's naive because of what he like. Once you got go down this path, you won't be able to come out. Yeah. Pretty much. Once you're in, you're in. Yeah, and he's and, like, "No, no, you don't understand. We're actually going legit," which plays a big role in the next movie, and the th- partially the third movie. But he hasn't seen her in air and for in a year or no longer than a year, over a year, and he just wants to marry her out of the blue and. I'm like, this dude's so wrecked from becoming a widow and watching his wife die. He's just like trying to just do something to have a semblance of a family again. Yeah. He's trying to start his own family. Not that he, like if he had good mental health he and she was in the 40s, probably wouldn't have gone back to K. Probably. I mean, he was just like, baby, I miss you. Come back. I love you forever. Like, if you don't, if you miss that line, though, about it being a year later, it would have been really awkward. It is. And, like, I missed that. And it took me a second to realize the time jump had happened. And so it's just kind of what was just showing. It's like, oh, okay, this has happened. All right. We get a meeting with the Capos, the captains. And Clemenza and Tessio tell Vito, like, hey, yo, dude, uh, we want to start our own family. We've been loyal to you for so fucking long. It's time for us to move on. Yeah, and there had been some mention of, like, there had been agreement after a period of time they'd be able to start their own family. Mm-hmm. Is the way it, at least the dialogue sounded like. And obviously that is put on hold for X amount of time until, I think, things are blow over. Mm-hmm. So describe it. So 
and they're but they're denied they're like no not yet maybe in six months but not right now because they're also worried about what barzini might do they feel like that the truce will fold and this is where michael announces that he's gonna have a change of structure because now michael is starting to is taking over the family it's gonna be like more of like an apprenticeship yeah and poor tom yeah poor tom because he's like yo my dad here is gonna be consigliere he's gonna be my counsel and they keep referring to like tom you're not a wartime consigliere you're just a consigliere like what does that really in my opinion matter i guess for them it does to an extent yeah because they feel like he he failed like when they were at war that's what they're trying to say yeah. Or Tom is more cautious than they want, a little more legit. Yeah. And Carlo, though, even though previously they said Carlo doesn't become fan, doesn't become part of the family business, they're like, hey, he's going to be the right hand man. And I'm like, yeah. And yeah. Tom is like, man, why are you doing me like this this way? And Michael's like, just, it's just business. It's don't take it personally. And Vito has to talk to him and be like, hey, this is just how it is. It'll be okay. Yeah, and, it's, and they reassure him to the sense of like, hey, we're not giving you boot out of the family. We're not kicking you out forever. This is just until this time passes. Right. And this is where Michael's got to go on a trip to Las Vegas. And we see some establishing shots that look nothing like Vegas now. And I actually, I love that kind of stuff where they have these old stock footage of yesteryear. In Vegas, yeah, and this is the very we meet Mo Green here, who is Frito has been working with, and Johnny Fontaine have been working with as yeah the guy in Las Vegas who reminds me a lot of Donnie Brasco, who is one of the big people that got into Las Vegas and set like the first original big mafia guy into Vegas and set up a couple of hotels and stuff, and that's who I think Mo Green is portraying, except Donnie Brasco would have fucked everybody up in that room if they would have crossed him. <laughs> Donnie Brasco, yeah. you did not fuck with. Yeah, but Mike's intent here is to buy into the gambling business because, again, they're, that is that they go legit. They sell everything off in New York, and they they go to Vegas, and they just get out of the situation. I just want to put legit in Vegas in the 40s in quotations there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And this is another big theme that we haven't really touched on with Coppola, and it's that capitalism, how it corrupts and it fucks everything up. Not lying. No, he's not. Absolutely not. No, but that's, you know, that's a big theme throughout this, like how and it kind of goes into the next movie. Yeah, especially with the downfall of Michael. And we still see that today. How, you know, see all the late stage capitalism bullshit. See, we're living it. Shit. Yeah. Oh, you need to come to the office all the time again, even though we proved for two years that you don't. But we've got these buildings we took out leases on for 20 years that need to pay for. We have a reason to pay for them. Rent them out. Sublet them. Shit. Turn them into fucking apartments. I don't give a fuck. My cousin works in CG. He's been doing most. He only has to go to the office now two times a week for meetings, but most of everything else he does is on, is at home, which is good because Vancouver is a, and Canada is a 
decent living place. Yeah. That actually cares about their people. And we also see how Fre- Fredo has changed his demeanor completely. Like before, he was like a timid, timid dude. Here, he is a sleazy fucking asshole. And they're talking to Johnny Fontaine about doing an exclusive Las Vegas deal and bringing in his other movie friends. Uh huh. Which is a clear reference to fucking Frank Sinatra. Yeah. And the Rat Pack. Is this the quote where Frank Sinatra got kind of pissy with it being tied? Yeah. At this part? Yeah. Well, in the book, yeah. Because he got pissed off at the book, not really the movie. I mean, don't do the crimes. You can't do the time, right? Right. But as just to be fair, Mario Puzo says this isn't a reference to Frank Sinatra. Sure thing, pal. Wink, wink. <laughs> I got you. Well, as you mentioned, Mo Green walks in. He's is he an owner? Yeah, he's an owner. He's the owner of that particular hotel. And Mike just immediately like, dude, I'm gonna buy you out. That's what's gonna happen here. And which Mo then laughs at him. Yeah, and we see it because we're seeing Mike settle into his role as Godfather. Uh huh. And he flips off on Mo Green about slapping Fredo in front of people. Again, we see that how that ties into family. Yeah. He found out you slapped my brother. Fuck you, dude. Yeah. One, uh, which plays into the second movie a lot. Uh huh. Because Fredo snaps on Mike. He's like, dude, what are you doing? Are you, you don't do that shit. And Mike is like, don't you ever, never, ever take sides against the family. That line plays a, is a huge plot point in part two. Yeah. And Mo Green loses his shit on Mike as well. Yeah. And kind of like, Rubs in his face, how Rosini is in a sense pushing the Corleone family out and just kind of like squeezing them and just pushing them out of the game. Yep. And so we get to this next scene with Mike and Vito having a conversation one on one, which I had to think this is the first this is the first time you actually have that. Yeah. I think they had maybe had like a couple sentences, a couple lines together. But most of it has been with other people, and here you're getting an actual conversation. The This is the first scene where both of them are talking and active in the scene. You did have the scene in the hospital when Mike was talking to, to Vito in the hospital, but it was very much you know one-sided as that. But here is the first time where you kind of see, I guess you would say, what Vito's hopes and dreams were for the family, what he could be able to take the mantle off, retire, and step away from the family in a sense, and what he was hoping to leave for his legacy. Yeah, because, you know, Vito is like, dude, Barzini is going to try to kill you. You need to you need to grasp that situation. Yeah, and I mean, he's even like, anybody that comes up to you saying, hey, make a meeting with Barzini, he's a dude that's going to fuck. He's the turncoat. Yes, and that... He's telling him, he's like trying to be like, hey, this is what's good. This is how it's going to go down. Just so you know. Yeah. And Vito's like clearly worried that some, something's going to happen to Michael. Yeah. And, but Michael is shrugging it off. He's like, no, I'll be fine. It'll be cool. It'll be okay. Yeah. It'll be okay. Yeah. And like, and he tells Michael, I never wanted this for you. I had ideas of you being a senator or governor, you actually being legit. 
for the family, maybe a little somebody we could help for us in times of need. In that sense, he always Vito considered Fredo, Fredo was aloof and just wouldn't ever be able to handle the role and aspects of the family. And so Santino was going to have to like grow into the role of the godfather and kind of maybe lose a little bit of his edge, but he was the one that was going to be running the family on the business end. Right. And it's a really good scene, just the, the two interacting. Yeah. I, I mean, been building this up, this scene for so long throughout the movie. And when they finally do do it, it they nail it really good. They do. Vito walks around Mike and sits down and is just staring off into into the aether uh-huh. and just really telling him all that stuff and his deep concern for his, well, not his, his son, like not as much concern about Fredo, of course. I mean, feels like he's going to be taken care of, but he's, you know, Michael's getting into a tough biz here. Literal life or death situations. Yeah. I mean, it's literal, like there's going to be a lot for Michael to have to deal with and do. And they, at least watching it for the first time, not knowing what's going to happen in the movie, it felt like they foreshadowed that Tom, because like you kind of see the pieces as act of Tom getting demoted, that it's foreshadowed in the sense that the one who's going to turn is going to be Tom. Yeah, they, they played it up like it could have been Clemenza, Tom. Uh, Tessio. It could have been one of those three. And get a new scene here. And this wasn't originally going to be in the film. In fact, Paramount didn't even want to film the scene because of the scene after that. They felt like if the next scene happened, then everybody could connect it in the brains. But it's a really good scene here because Vito is playing around with his grandchild, Michael, or uh, not Michael's son. But he's playing around with his grandchild in this garden. Uh-huh. Really nice garden. Playing with the watering gun to just spraying it out. to like a little tin can. It's pretty uh-huh. cute. And he grabs an orange Remember how I said in the last episode how an orange is a signifier of death? Yeah. This is where you really see it because, or something bad's going to happen. He puts, he makes the teeth out of this orange peel to scare the kid, to fuck around with him. Kid starts crying, little shit. And he's like, no, dude, hey, sh- quit. It's just a joke. Are you serious right now? Yeah. And he starts chasing the kid around the garden whenever. All of a sudden, he has a heart attack and just collapses in the garden. Yeah. Like, and this, this little kid, God bless him, he's just like, runs up to him, ha, ha, ha. I know. <laughs> ha, 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 you're having fun, aren't you? Ha, ha, wait a minute, something's, something's wrong here, something's wrong, and then he trucks off and gets help. So you said they didn't originally want to put this in the movie, that scene? No. Because the funeral scene after they said that it would people would understand what went on. I mean, I get it, but I also like this part in the movie as well because it shows Vito as a like legitimate family man of caring for his grandkids. He's not like a grand. He's joking around like he wouldn't put orange in his teeth, like you know, and joke around with none of his guys, like in the the family. But you see him having a much. Th- less serious character at this moment. Kind of like the guard is down, the defensive drop where he's having fun and it's not detrimental to his character, you know? Well, on top of that, at this point, Vito is a retired person. He's retired from the mob. And it's kind of like, and he gets to be a grandparent. He gets to do all those things he didn't get to do before. Yeah. 
and I really I like it. It's it's a really good scene. I'm glad they kept. I mean, I think what happened was it's like pretty much Francis Ford Coppola got a camera, got the kid, got had him throw in a garden real quick, and filmed it like on a on a Saturday. Yeah, it's good. It works really well. But then we get the funeral scene. Everybody's paying their respects to the family, and Mike Mike's ass is just like stone cold. Just looking around, he's like, "Which one of you motherfuckers is about to betray me?" Yeah. And all of a sudden, Abe Vigoda, Tessio, his ass shows up and tells Mike there should be a meeting with Barzini, and he's going to give them protection. As Vito said earlier. Whoever said, suggests the meeting is the rat. Yeah. And it's implied that Tom became consigliere again. And Tom knows something's up. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's it's him. And Mike's just right there amongst everyone. Just like, yeah, that dude's going to try to kill me. It's this scene where he's like, or Tom's like, I can't believe he did it. And Mike's just like, it's a good business decision, really. I get why he did it. I understand why he made the decision he did. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I've got to take offense to it. But, yeah, but just because it's a good business decision doesn't mean it doesn't get a fuck around and find out award. Yeah, in the good old-fashioned prisoner's dilemma game. Yeah, and it's here, like, looked in. There's only 10 minutes left in this movie, and so much shit goes down in the next 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. So much shit. The... We open in a baptism scene because Mike Michael has said he's going to be godfather to his uh, nephew. Yeah. Oh, that's Carlos and Carlo and, and Talia's child, right? Yes. The one she was pregnant with when Santino beat the fuck out of. Yeah. We're about a year. I guess we're about a year. We're still a year after Apollonia, right? Or is this the second kid? This might be her second kid, actually. I think this, we're a couple of years past that. I think we're like two or three years past. But again, I think this is the second kid. Yeah. She wasn't pregnant for fucking two years. True. Anyways, but this baby is played by Sophia Coppola. Oh, uh, of course I wouldn't recognize you then. <laughs> yeah. Little baby, like this baby was literally born not even a week or two prior to this. So they literally just filmed the baptism. Francis Ford Coppola had to. While he was filming, she was born. Uh huh. And like over a weekend, and then he had to come back and start filming, and he put her in the movie. He just wanted to make sure she got some residual checks. Yeah. God, yeah. Well, so, and he also wanted to make sure five of his family members get residual checks too, because there are five Coppola members in this movie. Dude, I said before, knows how to nepotism and do it successfully without anyone caring. As the church organs and baptism goes on, we're seeing different scenes of Mike consolidating the power. Yes. And, and it it starts with Clemenza running up these stairs and Mo Green's hairy ass fucking back. Like, Jesus Christ, shave that shit, dude. You've got a, a cop putting his uniform on. Yes. They're setting up this, this, the, de- the murder of the five, uh, Five families. Which it was interesting because I thought watching it, like you can see the preparation being made. And I thought there were people making preparations for the meeting to occur. And so 
when the murders happen, it was like, oh, fuck, that's what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. So go go through each one of these instead of like going back and forth. Stretchy is killed by Clemenza, who's been running up these stairs and somehow has the cardio strength of a god and is somehow not out of breath. Remember, Clement, the actor that played Clemenza is a hefty dude. Yeah. And fun fact, Coppola made his ass run up and down them stairs a lot because they had a, dis- a simple disagreement. Really? Yeah. <laughs> made him run up and down just over a stupid, stupid disagreement. I wonder how times is like, no, that wasn't right. Do it again. Yeah, pretty much. That's what he did. Cameras weren't even fucking rolling. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry. Forgot to put in the film. Go again. Oh, shit. Sorry. Forgot to. The lights weren't just right. Let me change them a bit. Oh, shit. I got to go shit. Hold on. <laughs> I wasn't here. I didn't see it. Oh, oh fuck. I got a phone call. Hold on. But Clemenza just blasts this dude with a shotgun in this elevator. You don't see the death, but he blew their shit out of the oh, water. Yeah. Fuck around and find out. Yeah. Then you see Mo Green, again, the Vegas guy. He's shot in the face during a massage and that hairy ass back. And I do like the practical effect of him having to put on the glasses and the, so that the blood could flow out. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Really good effect. That is based off of a real murder, murder too. Like a real mafia hit. Not surprised. Uh, the next one, Cuneo, trapped in a door and is shot dead by, first time we see him in this movie, uh, Willie Cicci. And this is played by Joe Spinell. You know him if you've ever watched the Rocky movies. He is uh, the guy Rocky worked for in the first two movies. Okay. He's the like the pretty much the mob boss of Philly. Uh-huh. That... He was breaking thumbs for? Yeah, that Rocky's collecting money for. He's also in another movie that I'd love to see, but I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Tataglia is killed in his bed while having sex. They just walk into his fucking room and blast him and his mistress up in that bed. Fuck them. <laughs> so it's a get. Yeah. And then finally, Barzini is killed in a more public spectacle than everyone else probably to put the icing on the cake by that guy that was dressed as a cop earlier. Yeah. And I think it's also like, I agree. His death was to be a spectacle. His death was to be known. Hey, this was a planned mafia hit. Yes. And the character here who's dressed as a cop, that's Al Neri. He is in all three movies and he is a loyal Corleone uh, guy. Yeah. And man, I've it had to be a stunt double or whatever, but falling down them fucking stone ass steps. Oh yeah, it probably felt horrible the next couple mornings. Yeah, because the guy that played Barzini ain't a young goat ain't a young chap. And it's kinda like watching wrestling. I've tried to do a couple falls before and it hurts. Yeah. Like, good God, what do you I, I could. I don't know if I could ever be a stunt double or a stunt man. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I'd have to do it slow. I'd be like, speed it up in post. <laughs> I'll just roll down like a like a slug, or do it in reverse. Like you, you roll up the steps, and just kind of <laughs> pop up. But we still have to tie up some loose ends here. 
Yep. The first one's with Tessio, with Ava Goda. Tom and Tessio start to leave for the meeting, and but then something comes up where like Tom's like, oh, I can't go. And the look on Abe Vigoda's face when he's like, fuck, I'm about to die. Yeah. He knew. He knew if it found out. And he, like, he said, like you said earlier, Alpatino was like, it was a good business decision. And he says here, it's only business. And, but he does try one last time to beg to get up. He begs to get off the hook. And Tom's like, no, nah, I can't, dude. Sorry. His seems to be the most respectable, like in a sense, like, we yeah. get it was business, no hard feelings, just come with us and it happens. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna kill me. And he treated it like that the same way too. He's just like, fuck. Okay. Yeah, you don't see and in fact that is a very conscious decision not to include his death in this movie. Like you don't see him die. Yeah. What led to that decision? Well, in the book, he is actually killed at a club. Uh-huh. And it was made to look like Barzini did it. Gotcha. So, but Barzini had already died, so wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked. So, and plus uh, the whole respectable thing. Yeah. So we we've we've offed like six different people in the span, like I said, span of less than ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And we still have one more to go, and that is with Carlo. He's got to tie up that that loose ass end. Yep. And Mike shows up to talk to Carlo about his role in Sonny's death. They've been giving you some snippets here and there about it because come to find out what he had done is he had the mistress that had called earlier to started the whole thing. He had her call and it was intentional to get Sonny mad. Yeah. Like she was a, a unknowing participant. She didn't know, like the mistress didn't know what was going on. And Mike is calm here. Like kind of like that calm dad demeanor where you shit this dude's pissed, shit this dude's just yell at me, just yell at me. Yeah, just like get it over with, just do your worst. And he's like calm enough here to like oh get get Carlo a drink. Says he doesn't want to make Connie a widow, but he's out of the business. And like they had this whole shit set up. Here's the plane. Here's a plane ticket. You're gonna go to Vegas. And that's where you're going to remain the rest of your life. But he got it out of Carlo that it was Barzini that convinced him to facilitate Sonny's death. Yeah. And they put him in the car, going to send him on a plane. Right behind him is Clemenza. If we know anything about Clemenza in a car with a dude. It's a death sentence. That dude's dead. And Clemenza didn't want to be all tricky here. He just said, fuck it. Grabs a garrote and just chokes the living shit out of him. Yeah. As they're driving off. And you see Carlo just flailing his legs. It kicks out the windshield. Pretty cool. It was just pretty cool. Yeah. And I, and I like the juxtaposition of we go with Carlos from his wedding to his death. But it's bookends the movie. Yeah. Because they're moving out. They're We're going to Vegas, y'all. We're, we're going to go live there. Mm-hmm. And as they're moving out, Connie shows up hysterical. She is pissed the fuck off about Carlo dying. But again, I'm like, why is she pissed? Yeah. Why? You should be happy. This wife beater just fucking died. He wasn't going to take care of them kids. And he was only going to beat you up more. 
Yeah. I ain't I ain't saying what Mike did was right. I'm just saying I understand. Mm-hmm. Like you have you you should be okay with it, Connie. Yeah. And Kay still delusional as fuck. Does not believe it at first. She's like, no, I don't believe it. No. Did you kill him? And he's like, don't ask about my business. And yeah. And it's like why she he's like, get give her to Connie. And so Kay and Mike start talking. And she wants to know, like, dude, you're going to have to tell me something. And he's just, the first time he yells at her is right here. He's like, you don't tell me about your day. I don't, don't ask me about your bit, my business. But then he's like, but this time I'll let you do it once. Yeah. And he straight lies to her and tells her that he did not kill Carlo. And she automatically believes him. And I'm just like. Is it the power of the boner? What what the fuck is going on here? I don't know, but he lied like a fucking dog to her, and she's like, I I, I can't believe she believed him in that statement, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like because he's he's pauses for a second and then says it. Yeah, I'm like, come on, well, come on, man. You use the the space between your ears, and she she's like, oh, good. Good, Mike. I love you, baby. And I'm going to go out and get a drink. And it's where we get the final shot. She's gone to get her drink. And we're seeing not only the physical distance of Kay and Michael, but also it's a metaphor of how distant they are to each other. Yeah. Which, again, plays into the next two movies. While the guy that dressed up as a cop earlier, Al Neri, Closes the the door into a fucking credit scene. Yeah, and that's a hell of a closing shot. And just kind of yeah, like, she's staring through the door, and he's just like, "Fuck off." <laughs> but yeah, that was a hell of a movie. I can see why it's one of the most loved of all time. Mm-hmm. If I had to rank it, it'd be my second favorite one we've probably done so far. For in terms, if I was to do like. Greatest movie of all time. I think I put Green Mile just a little bit above it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just a little bit more. But even still, it's still a fantastically well done. Oh, yeah. I can talk about this movie all fucking day, but... We have just spent, across two episodes, roughly four hours talking about it, so... <laughs> yeah. The acting, great. Al Pacino, great. Marlon Brando, great. Diane Keaton, fantastic. When Talia Shire acts that's actually acting and not just you know doing stuff in the background great the cinematography is fabulous score so well done for this i it is a piece of cinema history if you have never seen this movie take the day take take three hours out of your life and watch it yeah definitely it's a movie that i think everybody should at least watch once in their life Right. And I think it's something that as you get older, you get into yeah, because of the length. And like when you're a kid, you're you're in the more the cartoony, the flashy type of shit. Uh-huh. When you start getting older, you get into this, the subtext and understanding the themes and the acting. Yeah. And also, I couldn't like if I would have tried watching this back when I was. 10, 15 years younger. I couldn't have watched, I wouldn't have been able to sit through this and watch it like I mm-hmm. did this time. Like, as I've gotten older, I've come to like these movies more and more. Yes. 
I don't think I'm like a mutual friend of ours where it's like Criterion Collection is the bare minimum of what he wants to watch, but <laughs> yeah. But this was definitely well, well done. There, I've said it several several times. I would love to see the TV cut of this movie with part two. Uh-huh. I would like to see that just the, in the chronological order. I have it on. I have the first two on VHS. I have them on digital. I watch them at least once a year if I can. The I've read, I just I, I mentioned a book earlier. I read it. So good. Goes into detail. I've talked about how they don't. Nobody really talks about Apollonia, which is still a pro, it's a problematic thing and sucks that it's in this very good fucking movie. I don't want to say like it ruins the movie, but it does kind of like hit the like it's like hit it at his knees and like brings it down a little bit because that's such a fucking mm-hmm. woof. And woof. I wish there had been some focus more on the women in this. Yeah. But again, if you talk about like ti- that was the times and all that shit, like fe- like this was early 70s. So it didn't take an- it took a few years before stuff like nine to five came out where there was it was more where they were starting to be more serious about women in movies. I would say instead of just being either token or not as really in there. Like if you watch Godfather Part Two, Kay has a more prominent role. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see when we do it. Um, so I'm just going to just write you, put you in for a double thumbs up on this. Oh yeah, <laughs> just fucking recommend the fuck out of this. Like if you've never, if there is a list of ten movies that you need to see before you die, this is one of them. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Uh, I would, I would like to comment. About that fucking atrocious ass uh, TV miniseries uh-huh. that just came out recently, over the past few months, the offer. The offer. What's that? It is a dramatization of the making of this movie. Huh. It deals a lot with the background shit, and they, you know, play a lot of it up, talking about the mob ties and stuff. Add in a lot of unnecessary ass plots in it. It could have been like four episodes and done. I do like the fact that they didn't film the any of the iconic scenes and tried to replicate them. Yeah, yeah, good. The have you ever watched Ted Lasso? No. Okay. That's on my to watch eventually list. Like a- really good show, but one of the one of the main women in that is in this. Uh-huh. Uh Miles Teller. Yeah. He is the main character of the movie or of the show. Okay. Did you ever watch Grey's Anatomy? No. So one of the doctors, Dr. Karev, it plays Marlon Brando, and I feel so fucking bad for him because you're trying to act like this fantastic actor, and there's no way you can fucking fill that role. Yeah. Like none. In fact, this whole fucking sh- you would think like I mean, the premise of itself is just kind of like, uh, what? Why? Okay. Yeah. Why was it made? It makes no sense, especially when you watch it or someone like me watches it. Some people are like, oh, it's a good show. No, it's not. Because <laughs> it it doesn't even, you would think like a show like this would end like at the premiere of Godfather. Uh-huh. No, they have more shit to go through. Are they going to do the second movie as well? No, 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 no. Uh, they're not going to do a se- season two of this. 
No, the final episode actually ends because uh, Miles Teller is playing the producer. And he's like, oh, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to do Godfather Part 2. No, I'm going to go on and do The Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Which, you know, bad. That was a true. That truly happened. Uh-huh. Bad decision on his fucking part. On Al Ruddy's part, in my opinion. But it it ends on the set of filming The Longest Yard. The fuck is which has fuck all to do with the Godfather. It sounds like a, a bad idea. It is. It's bad to avoid it. Like it just seemed like people were there to get a paycheck. And I ha- actually had some high hopes for it, but it failed miserably. In fact, if you go to Paramount Plus and look at trending, it ain't even up there. And it only came out like it only finished about a month ago. Oh, I bet they're going back. Well, never doing that again. Yeah. Uh, it was just a circle jerk for Al Ruddy, the producer. That's pretty much all it was. Yeah. And it seems like such a weird premise. We're doing a drama series over the making of this movie. Like, that's, oh, for me, that's a bit too meta. Yeah. I, I would just say do a documentary and talk about all the fucking drama. That would have been better. Just saying. Just like, what was it? Uh, the Heart of Darkness, the making of uh, Apocalypse Now? Mm hmm. Like the documentary that accompanied that? Like, yeah, do something like that, but not a drama series of it. But that wraps up our little mini theme of Godfather. Yep. So do you look forward to doing the next two? Or at least the next one? Yeah, I do look forward to doing them. Uh, Should be interesting. Should be... I'm really looking forward to it. Should be good. Yeah. uh, And we've talked about it, and we're going to do that in July. Yep. Because we want to add that to our America month. But we've got plenty of time between now and then. We've got a new theme to hit up for October, Tracy. We're going to do a spectacular month as we watch some scary movies and put scary in quotations. There's there's some kind of Halloween theme to them each. No, they're all Halloween themed. Like, yeah. These are movies you watch during Halloween. So it should be good. I like the one we're starting off first. I think that's the only one. I've seen a couple others that we're doing for it, but that's the one I know the best of the five we're doing for October. And it's going to be Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters. Yes, we are going to do the 1984 hit Ghostbusters. I love this movie. It It is a top movie for me. Uh-huh. So just to know where I'm going to go with this movie next week. So it, you would end our friendship if I was like, I hate this movie. You ain't going to say you hate this movie. <laughs> you don't know that? I, I do. You might say it's not for me, but you ain't going to say I hate it. I like the movie, too. You ain't going to say it's the You're not going to say compare it to the fucking Wolfman. No, I might compare it to Vacation, though. No, you won't. You've seen it, right? Yeah, I've seen it. I like Ghostbusters. I've seen it. Okay. Now, then after that, I've been Costello meet Frankenstein. Now, that might change. That might be something not up your wheelhouse. <laughs> I've never seen it before, so it's going to be uh, interesting. Um, that'll do it. it well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in on this two-parter of one of the American cinema classics. Hope to hear from you. And, uh, if you are, I, I would like to just say, end on a note. Like Howard Stern, if you've ever been in a Godfather movie, you are welcome anytime to sit in on a recording with us. I will straight up throw that out. Diane Keaton, you're still alive. Al Pacino, you're... Maybe Talia Shire will come join us. Yeah, maybe. If you're the... 
Sophia Coppola, come join us. You were in two of them. Come talk to us. I, I promise I won't be mean on you if we do Godfather 3. I'm just, I'll say that. That's his lying voice, by the way. That's not my lying voice. I really wouldn't. <laughs> I, I would be like, I, I, it's not for me, but yeah. you, know, it, you tried, and that's something you can always admit to. Yep. Until next time. I'm Tracy. I'm Matt. Thanks for tuning in. Like our shit. Damn it.